the FT. For dealers like me, art fairs can sometimes be an exasperating business. As an art evangelist, I love talking about pictures to everyone, whether they are buyers or not. But occasionally, patience can snap. In 2006, at a fair in Florida's Palm Beach, one couple insisted on loudly deriding everything we had on offer. Antique portraits, they scoffed. Other people's ancestors. Who wants this old stuff anymore? Clearly, my usual repast to this attack, that the Mona Lisa was someone's ancestor, was not going to work. So, impatiently, I ordered them off the stand. But the maddening thing was that they were right. Not many people did want the old stuff anymore. As a purveyor of old master paintings, I take a keen interest in how taste in art changes over the years. Fairs are a good way of telling what sort of art people want, because that's where you have the most conversations. You are at the coalface of artistic taste. In 2006, the art market was quite strong, and yet it was clear that the type of art people wanted was already changing. The seemingly unstoppable boom in modern and contemporary art was already well underway, but the type of decorative English and continental paintings I was then trying to sell were fast going out of fashion. Until the early 2000s, even third-rate works by second-tier artists of the 17th or 18th centuries, portraits by the likes of Thomas Hudson, for example, were relatively easy to sell. Flip through old editions of House and Garden or World of Interiors, and you'll find that historical portraits were an accepted part of the prevailing aesthetic. But from the 2000s onwards, taste began to change dramatically. Not only did the type of art seen on domestic walls change, but often there was no art at all. The 2008 crash temporarily killed the art market. Such a change mirrored the already existing decline in demand for all things antique, in particular what we call brown furniture, that is, furniture made before the early part of the 20th century. Thanks to the efforts of the collector John Andrews, we've been able for some time to plot the financial rise and fall of brown furniture, in fact, since 1968, with Mr Andrews's annually calculated index. The index was at its highest in 2002, but has been in decline ever since. It is now down an astonishing 67% from its peak, to levels last seen in the 1980s. Today, much brown furniture is almost comically cheap, I recently bought a pair of French mid-18th-century marble-topped side tables at Christie's in London for just £200. They were being sold without reserve, and nobody wanted them. In the same week, I bought a pair of wardrobes from Ikea for more than £300, which I not only had to make myself, but which aren't even deep enough to hang a suit in. The question is, will the old stuff ever come back into fashion? For certain types of antique furniture... Most certainly not, for the issue has now gone beyond taste. We live different lives in smaller houses. Whose kitchen can accommodate a dresser these days? And not even the Downton effect can resurrect formal dining. That said, a Georgian chest of drawers can now just about hold its value. In the art world, there have been signs for a while now that the old stuff is coming back into favour, at least in certain sectors. Happily, the question is now not whether to have either old art or new art in your home, but sometimes a blend of both. The most recent cover of House and Garden showed, to my pleasant surprise, 
a pair of 18th and 19th century portraits in a contemporary setting, while two of London's biggest art fairs, Freeze Masters and Masterpiece, play on this very theme. Collectors are invited to see what a Gainsborough might look like next to an Andy Warhol print. Why is old art making something of a comeback, even in modern settings? It could be partly because contemporary artists themselves are helping to lead the way. Chef Coons and Julian Opie, for example, collect old masters enthusiastically. The trend for contemporary artists to display their work in historic settings, be it modern sculpture at Chatsworth House or Damien Hirst's flower paintings at the Wallace Collection in London, has long been in existence. The juxtaposition is appealing, with the old giving gravitas to the new, but it can easily be made to work the other way around. An old painting in a modern environment makes us look at it afresh, free from the preconceptions of an age gone by. Affordability is another reason why many are beginning to look at old art again. Compared to the stratospheric prices for modern and contemporary works, old masters are cheap. And yet names such as Sir Anthony Van Dyke and Sir Joshua Reynolds vie with the likes of Joan Miro and Lucien Freud in terms of art historical importance, even though they can be bought for a fraction of the price. Although the auction record for Reynolds is £9.5 million, you can still buy a significant work by him for as little as £15,000. How? Well, it depends what you're looking for. If you want to see an excellent demonstration of painting by one of the greatest British artists who ever lived, but don't mind that it's a portrait of an old bishop swathed in red robes and with a perhaps rather unfortunate name, then you might opt for something like the Reynolds portrait of Dr John Thomas, the Bishop of Winchester, which sold for just over $40,000 recently at Sotheby's in New York. Or an even cheaper example of Reynolds' portraiture, of a handsome enough country squire called Montague Edmund Parker, could be bought at Christie's forthcoming summer Old Master sale in London with an estimate of twelve to £15,000. Hung amongst other Old Masters, either picture might look rather earnest, but hang such a work on a whitewashed breeze-block wall, and suddenly you've got a quirky statement of cultural depth. In my experience, the pictures that are more sought after for display in modern settings are those of the 16th and 17th centuries. Oils on panel work particularly well. There's something about the colourful naivety and historical resonance of a Tudor portrait which fits contemporary taste. The sale last month at Christie's in London of a 16th century portrait of Richard III, one which was even owned by Lord Byron, was a good example, selling for just £16,250. Equally, oil sketches and preparatory studies can provide brilliant demonstrations of artistic genius, but without the period costume and societal strictures which can make old art feel sometimes rather dated. The second most expensive painting at auction by Anthony van Dyck, for example, is an unfinished double head study of a bearded old man which made over $7 million some years ago. Of course I may be biased, but in terms of a medium to long-term store of value that you can enjoy, you can't really go wrong with old master paintings, as long as you're mindful of a few things, most importantly their condition. Sadly, many pictures have suffered over the years, usually from overcleaning by some well-intentioned but ham-fisted restorer. So be careful. But above all, buy something you like, be it the depiction of a historical figure you admire or a masterful display of long-lost artistic skills. And if anyone comes into your home 
wrinkling their nose at your antiquated tastes. Just do what I do and kick them out. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.